Warning, please be aware that content in this podcast does discuss the murder of a child and also child sexual abuse, and in part, it's quite distressing. Welcome back to episode two. I am Mark Williams-Thomas, and this podcast is a cold case reinvestigation into the disappearance of 15-year-old Lee Boxall. We know that Lee went shopping in Sutton Town Centre on the 10th of September 1988, yet 32 years on, neither he nor his body has been found and nobody's been brought to justice for his disappearance or murder. When Lee left to go into town, he was wearing black jeans, brown suede shoes, his swatch watch and a white t-shirt. He met up with his friend Russell and they wandered around Sutton Town Centre before parting company at around 1pm. On the day he disappeared, there was an unconfirmed sighting of Lee outside Tesco's in Sutton High Street around 2.30pm. This may or may not have been Lee. So, where did he go? Well, I now may be able to shed light on this. I can reveal for the very first time that a significant piece of evidence has only fairly recently been found. Peter, something really significant has happened, tell me. Well, if if you look at this picture of Lee, which was taken at his grandmother's uh, birthday party in about 1987, you'll see he's wearing a conspicuously blue watch. That's a Swatch watch. It was given to him as a birthday present. And um, I know a lot lot of youngsters in those days used to wear Swatch watches, but the designs varied from watch to watch. So that is a picture of uh, an identical watch to the one that Lee owned. As you see, the strap is blue, green, with red and yellow on it, a quite unusual face. So there wouldn't have been very many of that particular design of watch in this area at that time, when uh, Lee went missing in 88. And we've heard now that uh, an identical watch body uh, was found in in a a garage area, very close to the entrance to the railway station in Cheam Village. So that's the garage here which backs onto Upper Mile Grave Road in Cheam. Now that's about um, a mile and a half or so from Sutton Railway Station. But uh, this area is very, very close indeed, about 10 minutes walk from uh, the uh, unofficial youth club that we think that Lee may have gone to on that day when he disappeared. It's about, uh, as I say, 10 minutes walk from there. And uh, it's about 20 or 30 minutes walk from home. So if this is indeed Lee's watch, it does suggest that Lee was not heading towards Sutton Station on the day he disappeared, but was actually coming towards Cheam. So he could have been on his way home. He could could have been diverted and gone to the club. Uh, Maybe something happened to him and his watch was disposed of in this area, or maybe he lost the watch on the way there. But... It's really significant that, of course, it's so close to really, really important areas, which is obviously home and also St Dunstan's Church, and puts him in a completely different direction than was initially thought, that he was walking away from Sutton. But this, in fact, suggests that perhaps he was walking towards home. That that does. It does indicate that if that is definitely Lee's watch, and I I think it could be, although um, DNA tests have uh, not given uh, any proof of that, but... It's quite likely that that is Lee's watch and he was in the, in the area near to that uh, club and chain. I've done some research around the watch 
Lee's watch was a Swatch Watch Nautilus GK102 V1 variant Spring 1986, a blue-green compass with a clear body. The watch was battery-operated with a mechanical movement. We've contacted Swatch to find out more information. They were very helpful and stated that in the 80s and 90s, Swatch didn't exist as a company in the UK as it does today. Rather, the watches were sold via sales agents, but they have no records of sales going back that far. Headquarters have struggled to find anything pre-2000. They would estimate that the Nautilus with a birthday of 1986 would have probably hit the UK in 1987. So, the watch stopped at 2.22pm. Remember, the last positive sighting of Lee was 1pm. So is the fact the watch stopped at 2.22 significant? Could it have stopped at this time from impact, a fight, or been taken from Lee's hand and discarded nearby? The watch body was found near Cheam Railway Station by the garages in Forbisher Court, which is 0.37 of a mile due south of St Dunstan's Church. If you go to the podcast website www.the-detective.co.uk, you'll be able to see the pictures of the watch and also the maps describing the route Lee may have taken. If this recovered watch is in fact Lee's, then this is a vital new piece of evidence because it tells us that either something or someone caused him to get rid of the watch at this location, or as I believe, it is more likely that having killed Lee, the offender simply disposed of his watch nearby. I say this because I have no doubt that Lee is dead and that he was killed on the Saturday in the Sutton area. As this podcast unravels, I will reveal the evidence that supports this belief. But for now, let's find out more about this unofficial youth club that was run at St Dunstan's Church by an individual known as William Lambert, also known as Bill. I've tracked down a person who used to go to the club and to protect her identity, I'm going to call her Jenny. So talk, talk me through. So you start going down there in 1988. I was introduced going there. Somebody took me there from school, a friend of mine. So talk me through the, the shed then. What, what's the shed like? Right, well, my first, my first impression of the shed, this is really bad now, I was about nine years old. I got taken there by my sister and my next-door neighbour. Yeah. They took me there. And looking back on it now, right, this was the first sign of anything. I was sitting on the grass in the churchyard with my sister, who was older than me. They were like 11 and 12. And they just happened to have me tagging along because my mum said she's coming out with me to play. And we went round there. Right. And they didn't know that. And he said, um, I always remember this, but I didn't remember it until recently, if that makes sense. And yeah. now it's stuck in my head and I know it happened. Yeah. I remember him saying to me, Bill this Lambert, Bill Lambert yeah. it's a little girl sitting on the floor wearing a skirt and some shoes. And my sister said, pull your skirt down. Yeah, so yeah. I, that made me, now I look back on it and I've spoken to my sister. She yeah. knew, I think, in her mind that well, he, was he wasn't right. And he went, um, it wasn't, he went, he came right up to me and he went, it wasn't the grass that tickled your ass, it was my little finger. I was nine years old. Yeah? Mm-hmm. So yeah. That, that was my first experience of, of the shed and I didn't pick up on that. No, I never ever realised there was anything wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then as a slightly older girl, I went round there with friends and it was great. Everyone could smoke fags, everyone could listen to music, there's a mm-hmm. telly, there's a sofa. There was a kitchen, yeah. help yourself to... Um, well, Bill sometimes right. rolled fags for you. Okay. Um, other times you just use your dinner money and bought 10 fags or whatever, you know. 
just describe what it was like, the shed? The layout. So you, you came around the side of the church yeah. over to where the shed was and like to the right there, there was a big black gate that he used to paint regularly um, and it had a shutter. I mean, it sounds bizarre when you look back on it. You think the signs were all there. And he used to be able to open and close it to see who was at the gate. He was always on the lookout for, like, what he used to say, the, the rector then, which was Surtees. So you went through the gate. To the right of you was a long building. And that was what was known as the youth club. Except for no one ever went in there. That, that's the thing. It was very rarely unlocked, very rarely open. Unless he wanted you all in there out of the way. Um, so inside that building, the walls were white. And then as the years went by, like a few years went by, I remember helping to paint it bright, bright green with sponges. So it was white initially. And then in later years, it was green inside. And there was a door the opposite side. So you entered into the yard of where right. the shed was. Yep. On your left was what he called his motorbike shed. And he had a Triumph motorbike in yeah. there, which was black and chrome. Okay. He had a Pentagon star on the wall in there. And then he had a white painted table. The legs were painted white. I think it was one of them old like formica tables that came okay. in like maybe red or yellow or blue. Yeah. But he carpeted it. That was yeah. his shed. He was always in there. Um, and then next to that, so between this building of the youth club and this little shed here was the main shed and it had net curtains up so you couldn't see in or out really through the windows very well um, and it had a door and a little porch way that was black, it, it was painted black um, the outside and inside of the whole building was like a creamy colour um, when you went into that shed there was a sofa on the left um, I think there was a mirror on the wall there and then there was a telly in the corner and as you walked down from the sofa say down um, there was just a little bit of space there empty space yeah. and then to the right was a toilet and then in front of that toilet door was a little kitchen as part of this investigation I have spoken to a lot of people and it was clear that rumours were going around at the time about Lambert. There was a rumour that went around that, um, that he put his, that he put his um, dick into like a wooden hole or something. Right. And that this that yeah. um, gave him a blowjob or something. It was like a little, um, it was like a creepy little kind of like sitting room type thing with a TV, you know? Yeah. Like a little kitchenette at the back. But there was also a specific piece of information that sits in the police file about Lambert. Your brother has a conversation with somebody from the National Missing Persons Helpline. They came around and made some inquiries about Lee. And yeah, that's so, right. Do you remember that? So in 1999, yeah, yeah. in 99, he has a conversation with him in which he says, and I'll read you what I know. It says, Lambert had told him he helped Boxall obtain a new ID including passport and address. He told of killing people and burying them in the cemetery. Did he ever tell you that? He did, yeah. Yeah, my brother said that. I've tracked down another witness who is keen to tell me about something they remember. What well, I do remember, I had to phone, uh, not last year, the year before, I had to phone two of my, my, my friends to make sure that my mind wasn't playing tricks on me. Now, we used to, 
underneath that church, if you walk round the back of that church, there's two paving slabs. And those paving slabs have probably been there for 10, 15, maybe longer years. When I was a kid, they weren't there. Those two paving slabs is a grated grill. We used to get through that grill and get under that church. And then there's two chambers. We never went any further. You draw, drop into a chamber and you slide down a parapet wall. Well, under the church itself? Under the church itself. Now I phoned two of my friends to make sure, did we do this? And they both said to me, we remember going under there. It used to scare the life out of us. So we used to get under there. We never made it past the second chamber. The second chamber was full of water. I say full of water, probably knee high. Right. That's why we never made it any further. When you start tracking down witnesses, it is always interesting what detail people remember. William Lambert, had, he was working there as a grave digger. And I recall one time I went to the graveyard. Um, I don't remember who I was with. I could have even been with my father. I don't really remember um, the exact details, but I remember William, this older guy who was working at the graveyard, and I remember him showing me. I said, yeah, my dad was around. He's already shown me the tunnels. And he said, oh, there's there's an entrance um, to one of the tunnels I can show you if you like. And I was like, okay. So, you know, I went along and and I saw where the trap door was. It was adjacent to one of the stones. It was the back of the graveyard. But I felt, at that point, I felt immediately uncomfortable um, right. just being alone with this older guy. My parents weren't around. I was young. And nothing ever happened I, I think I walked away that image I still have very vivid so who is William Lambert his full name is Patrick James Lambert born on the 28th of September 1935 in Surrey he left school aged 15 and went to work as a labourer for three months before he became a porter for British Railways at Worcester Park Station he was sacked by British Railways following his conviction in 1952 for receiving stolen cigarettes between 1952 and 1959, he was in trouble again for stealing and was sent to Borstal. The Borstal system was designed to separate young offenders from the influence of older offenders and provide education and learning. In August 1964, two months after his release from Borstal, he joined the army, serving in the parachute regiment. He attained the rank of corporal and left after three years with a character assessment of very good. A year later in 1968, he received a custodial sentence for exposing himself to two young girls under 14 years and for impersonating a police officer. He told three young children he was a police officer and produced a made-up warrant card. A note on the police file states that he purchased a motorcycle and on the hire purchase agreement he stated he was a Metropolitan Police Officer. Lambert has never been a police officer or worked for the police service in any capacity. At the time of this offence, his occupation was given as security guard. A further note on his file says that he is suspected of other offences in the area, but that he will not admit them. Before all records were computerised, police used to have a card index system, and on Lambert's card, an entry dated the 30th of October 1985. Subject is now rumoured to be involved in the occult as head witch. Then, in 1993, he faced trial for multiple sexual offences. An entry on his card for this time reads as follows. Purported to be a youth worker, 
and while using the premises known as the Shed St Dunstan's Church Cheam, introduced young girls to the occult. In order to enter the occult, girls were forced to perform various sex sots. They were forced to have sexual intercourse in order to enter the occult, and one girl was forced to have sex with Lambert, stating it would terminate an early pregnancy. His charges included six allegations of rape and four indecent assaults. After a trial, he was found not guilty and was acquitted of all charges. I spoke to one of his victims. I must warn you, the account is harrowing and upsetting. It was just a place where everybody went to meet. There was loads of children, always children there, hanging around on the on the tombstones, in the shed. You could drink, you could smoke. Kind of just did whatever you wanted there, really. And what year are we talking about? 87 to 88. And how did you end up going there? I had a friend who had told me, oh, you know, this is a really cool place, come with me, and she took me there. And how old are you? 14. The next account she gives is about William Lambert, who they all knew as Bill. Can you tell me about the occasion when he wanted to talk to you about special powers? Just that we had to go in this other room and I had to lay down and something would happen. That's all I knew. And there was like a sheet across my stomach. So I couldn't see below my waist. And she was holding my hand. And that's when it happened. I remember feeling hands on my knees, holding my legs up. And afterwards, I remember him saying, well, you won't know who that was. It could have been anybody. You don't know. It might be me. Years later, she reported the matter to the police. And they said, right, we're going to charge him today with rape. I was like, oh, my God. That's what it was. And it wasn't until that very moment in 2008 I realised it wasn't my fault at all. Then, in 2010, Lambert appeared at Croydon Crown Court charged with rape, indecent assaults and sexual grooming. Four women who had not spoken to each other since their teens gave strikingly similar evidence of abuse. The jury found Lambert guilty on one count of rape, two counts of indecent assault and two counts of procuring girls to have sexual intercourse by deception. He was jailed for 11 years. Now that we know exactly what Lambert's predilection was, let's go back to 2003, when the police undertook another review of Lee's disappearance. The review did not identify a suspect, but did, as a result of the information that was coming in, consider William Lambert as a significant witness. Also, as a result of the alleged conversation Smith said he had with Lee, Smith was also made a significant witness, as was a third person who had been previously arrested and interviewed regarding comments that he had made in a pub about Lee being buried. So, the inquiry now had three people who I would have treated as persons of interest, but the police simply treated them as significant witnesses. March 2015, both Smith and Lambert were interviewed, both informally and at their respective places of work. Police attended St Dunstan's Church in the shed and spoke to Lambert. He was not cautioned or arrested. This is what is recorded in the case files of the informal interview Lambert had with the police. He stated that he did not really know Lee Boxall, as had only met him on one occasion when Lee had come to the shed with other youngsters. He 
he indicated to a Lee Boxall missing appeals poster on prominent display in the shed and said he was there to remind him and so that everyone else would see it. He added, he had heard that Lee had some difficulties at home and his mother and that he'd changed his name to Les Hall. He stated that he'd also seen Lee in Sutton High Street about one year after he'd gone missing and that he was with Rob Smith at the time of the sighting. Rob Smith's uncle is Bill Lambert. Smith was seen at work and told police that Lee was a regular visitor to the church grounds and that he knew that Lee, since his disappearance, had now changed his name to Les. Smith said that about three years after Lee's disappearance, he turned up at the church and spoke to him. Lee said, don't tell her indoors, you've just seen me. Smith said that about three years after Lee disappeared, he turned up at the church and spoke to him. Lee said, don't tell her indoors, you've seen me. Just back to look at old haunts. Smith said at the time, Lee and Lambert had a discussion about other people and Lee said his girlfriend was pregnant. Smith says he left leaving Lee and Lambert talking. Note the difference between Lambert's account and Smith's, so clearly one or both of them are lying. Also, the terminology that they say Lee used just does not fit. Lee would not refer to his girlfriend as her indoors. And if Lee was still alive, where was he living and how did he manage to totally evade everyone, including the police? They just cannot be telling the truth. So, what came of this information? Nothing. The vicar at the time at St Dunstan's Church was a man called Reverend Timothy Surtees. I tracked him down and want to know what he can tell me about Lambert and if he ever had any concerns about his behaviour. Yes, I, I sorry, who, who are you? Who are you can, can so, tell me again who you that's are. That's OK, so I'm an investigator yes. and I'm investigating the murder of Lee Boxall on behalf of Lee's parents... So that's why, and obviously, I'm speaking to you about yeah. that. So yeah. when when Lambert was there, did you used to see young lads and girls spend time in the shed? Uh, one of, a few of them did turn up occasionally. Yes, and probably helped him with with the grass. Right. And what about Lee Boxall? Did you know Lee Boxall? I never met him, I'm afraid. I, I didn't know him at all. Right. I don't know if he was one of those who came or not. Okay, tell me a little bit about Lambert. What was he like? Uh, well, he was a loquacious person with lots of stories, some of which may have been imaginary. And he liked to talk a lot about all his army experiences. But amongst the stories, was there truth as well? Well, I think he'd been in the army, certainly, uh, at various times. Uh, it might be yeah, a certain amount of truth. I mean, they were just sort of rather tall stories uh, by 
what most most army people would probably say if they were just talking expansively about their about their time. What did you make of Lambert when Lambert was accused of sexual offences against young girls? I didn't think he'd have done anything at all. I I, I gave I made a witness, not didn't make a witness statement. I appeared in court mm. and uh, answered questions about him. You defended him, didn't you? I defended him, yes, because I. I had no thought that he he was anything uh, anything other than somebody who who told fairly tall stories occasionally. So obviously, the time that you went to court, he was acquitted, but he did go back to court again years later and was found I heard that, guilty. Yeah. What yes, do you think? What did you think of that? Well, I I I, I didn't. I, I didn't think he was he was guilty of anything at the first one, so I probably didn't think he was. Well, I didn't. I, actually, I only saw accounts of the thing that someone from the parish sent to me to tell me about after he'd been found guilty. Uh, so obviously, uh, I obviously wasn't. Well, I'm sorry, I didn't quite... That's okay, but you were aware. I was unhappy about it. Reverend Surtees is an old man now, so I want to be very clear that I understand what he is saying. So you knew young girls were visiting. What you're saying to me is that you didn't know that they were being subject to sexual abuse. Well, that's certainly true, yes. Why did you defend Lambert when allegations were being made against him? In, In essence, the girls... Lying. So why did you support Lambert? Well, I support him only because I I, I haven't seen and has seen any evidence of him actually doing anything of that sort. But how would you see that? You'd have to be in the same room at the same time, wouldn't you? Because all these things could have happened whilst you weren't present. Uh, well, I suppose they could have happened when I wasn't present, but I didn't think they had. Right. And do you accept now that the court, having put him back before them years after when he was acquitted with you, that he was a child sex offender? Well, I... I, I, Well, I probably do, but I... uh, Reluctantly, yes. Uh, But as I said, I'm... It's so distant in my memory now. Sorry, you, you, I'll ask you that again. You said you didn't see any evidence, but the sexual well, abuse of children takes place away the, from people, doesn't when it? When I saw the children there, they seemed to... Um, there weren't very many of them, and it was only on occasion. And I I know that some, some boys... Uh, well, mature boys helped him, including, I think, one or two of his own sons. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, I mean, I'd have I'd probably assumed that the girls were their girlfriends, probably. Right. There were, I'm not talking about lots of girls. I'm talking about uh, where there might have been perhaps altogether 
five or six young people uh, using the, the using the shed as a sort of club, although they they weren't meant to. It has been mentioned to me a number of times that Lambert used black magic. It is also in his early police files. So what does Reverend Surtees know about this? And what about black magic? There's been a lot of chat around black magic. Did you ever hear about him talking about that or other people talking about Lambert interested in black magic? Well, I didn't... We did... There was something about it because he came and and talked when some of the children were there and said uh, something about about black magic and I remember that I if I said anything I, I, I did say something about it which was simply that there was it, it, it didn't exist it was sheer nonsense uh, that was all I did say about it I think he brought up that and said something about it or the, the girls are afraid of black magic or something like that or and I, I simply said, well, that is a lot of nonsense. A number of witnesses have talked about the strong possibility that someone else was around when Lambert carried out some of his attacks. So I need to put this to Reverend Surtees. Have you ever been interviewed about sexual offences against girls? No. Right. So, because one of the offences that took place, or at least one we know about, there was somebody mm. else present with Lambert when he raped a young girl. The suggestion is that might have been you. Is that no, the it, case? No, it wasn't. And nobody has ever suggested that to me before. An interesting and very useful conversation with Reverend Surtees. Over the years, I've undertaken many child sexual abuse investigations involving the church. And sadly, denial of such offences occurring is a very common theme. As part of this investigation, I have used the Lee Boxall Facebook page as well as other social media platforms to seek information and appeal for witnesses to come forward. The results have been really positive, with quite a lot of people making contact. I've just taken a call from someone who has some really interesting and shocking information that he wants to tell me about, which may or may not connect to Lee's disappearance. I've agreed not to use anything that might directly identify him, but he has agreed for the call to be recorded in the hope that it might help. I'm going to call him Arthur. Okay, so let's just start right from the very beginning. You never knew Lee, and you were a couple of years older than him, that's right? Yeah, yeah, I never knew him. I had um, a little Saturday job in a, in a, a shop in Sutton High Street. But you've got some information which potentially could be connected to Lee Boxall's disappearance. And this is around a sex offender, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's, um, well, it's, I, I got in contact with you because, um, you know, I had this Saturday job. And then opposite my shop was um, a, a, a cycle shop. And uh, there was a guy there that... Um, you know, he, he was a bit older than me. He was about 35 or so. And he made a real play for me. And, um, yeah, so I, I I think when I heard that you were investigating Lee 
and then in my mind I sort of thought well you know are these two connected because um you know I was 15 and this guy as I said was in his late 30s mid late 30s so he he was um it wasn't right what he, he was doing tell me a little so, bit about him and he used to pay particular attention to you did it develop from there yeah, I mean, I, I knew he was gay. Um, he didn't make any, uh, he didn't hide that, um, really. Um, and, uh, you know, a couple of times, I mean, one time he cycled in my shop um, as, and I was closing up for some reason. And I think the boss was upstairs and uh, he came in on this bike and he was cycling around the shop and I was saying it out. And then that's when he grabbed me and, uh, you know, inappropriately. And uh, and it was a weird, weird thing for me because I think that I, I was probably questioning my own sexuality around that time. Yeah. Um, so it was all a bit, it was all a bit strange. It was strange. That's all I can say. And in terms of, so he's, the, the first time he touched you is then, were there further occasions uh, either at the shop or at his house oh yeah no it developed quite quickly after that um because he sort of grabbed he grabbed my crutch and uh fondled me and uh you know and uh, he 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 took that as a, a sign that i was enjoying it and uh you know and it's you know it's difficult to because you you sort of feel that you know i Maybe I was a willing participant in all of that. So, um, you know, but he was a lot older, you know. So I know now at my age, I know what he did was, was wrong. But, um, but yeah, it developed and it developed. I, I met up with him a few times and, we, you know, we had, uh, we had sex in his workshop, uh, sex in his van, uh, sex in the back of the my shop. Um, um, yeah. And... Are there any particular occasions that spring to mind in terms of his behaviour being particularly concerning? So, kind of, this sort of went on from when I was like 15, 16, and then it sort of stopped. And then when I was um, 17, I, I bought a car and, uh, you know, I, I was still friendly with and you know we just used to say hello but um he wasn't really interested in me and um you know and i i'm i wasn't his type he made the point of saying i wasn't his type because i would you know i had uh, i was dark you know and he he liked uh, blonde he liked blonde blonde lads um anyway so I, I got this car and he offered to to look it over i had a problem with it i can't even remember what it was what arthur told me next was a very disturbing sexual assault on him by this adult. I took the car to his house. It was the only time I went to his house. And uh, and that uh, was the last time we had any uh, sort of um, any sexual contact. But there, there hadn't been any for, for a while before that. Um, anyway, um, yeah, so I got to his house and it was all a bit, um, bit weird in the house and Downstairs, the house was empty, um, just him there. But downstairs, he led me into this room that, that looked out, out over the back of the um, garden, and he had a, a camera on a tripod, and he had this big trunk. 
Um, and he opened up the trunk and there were things in there like uh, rope and whips, chains, um, canes, um, bits of stuff to, you know, t tie you up or whatever. Um, yeah, and uh, it got like a little bit too weird for me and uh, a bit like how I'm feeling now talking about it. Yeah, I just, no, you're uh, doing very well, doing very well. It was just a little frightening, and uh, I was always quite quite a naive um, kid, really. Um, so this was like way, way, way out of my uh, comfort zone. He put some handcuffs on me and said it'd be fun and whatever. And, uh, but then it, he he had this, um, I suppose, like a, a what you call a paddle um, that he started uh, whacking my um, buttocks with, and uh, and it was getting harder and rougher and uh, I was getting more and more uncomfortable and I sort of remember you know at, at that stage I, I sort of um, I was in tears um, I didn't enjoy it at all and uh, he stopped he stopped and uh, he said uh, you know oh, you know I, I think maybe you're a bit too too young for this and uh, he said come on I'll, you know I'll run you a bath and we'll have a bath and uh, and you know and I'm, I'm, I'm in his house I'd never been there before I just had these handcuffs on. Um, I'm naked, and uh, I didn't know what I should be doing. I didn't know. I knew I wanted to get out of there, but other than grab all my clothes and run out into the street, I didn't quite know what to do. So I said, "Yeah, we're going to have a bath," and we had a bath. And uh, when when we were in the bath, he he received this um, phone call, and it was from another guy, and. Uh, and uh, he was talking on the phone saying, oh, yeah, I've got another lad over. And, uh, oh, no, I don't need a hand with this one. I can handle this one. And, uh, you know, and I, I, I knew there and then um, I needed to get out of there because it, it didn't feel right. So uh, so I, I, got, I got out of the bath. And uh, did you know who he was be... talking to? Well, <laughs> I sort of, you know, this is a long time, a long time ago. And, um, but I remember that there was this sort of driftery guy, hippie sort of driftery guy that used to work in the workshop uh, casually. Um, and I sort of have a feeling in my back of my mind that it was him on the phone, but I can't be 100% sure that it was. Um, but I seem to, it seems to be connected in my head some, mm. somehow. So either I could hear him on the phone um, and recognise the voice or, but I, you know, I don't, I don't, you know. I mean, you telling me that story makes me think that this was some kind of organised him, at least one other person, bringing young people, children back to his house and sexually abusing them. Yeah, it does. It does. You know, yeah, that's you know, at the, at the at the time, I, I don't, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have made that that connection. But you know, at, at my age, all these years later, that's exactly exactly what he was doing. And you know, he 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 did this. He he had a thing for blonde lads. He he told me quite often. And then you know, when when we stopped having any sort of like sex or whatever, I mean, it wasn't. Oh, it just. I was too old for him, you know, mm. at, at, at 16. What Arthur told me next could be vital and either way needs checking out.
So out the back of his garden, where this, uh, you know, um, back room was, um, big, big window looked out onto his garden, and he was digging this massive pond. Not just like a little pond that you'd put a few goldfish in. It was massive. And I couldn't get my head round why he would want to have a pond. You know, it was... he. It's not... You know, it's sort of like a middle-aged thing, isn't it, to have a, a pond in the garden, and and so I, I couldn't I couldn't understand why he he was him and him and this other guy were digging the pond. So there was because, two of them. Yeah, because the guy on the phone, um, he, he I can't remember exactly why I know that, but maybe on the phone call they were talking about the pond. I don't I don't know, but I just know that there was it it nothing felt right. It all felt so in your weird. mind you're connecting the man helping him dig the garden with the same person that made the phone call yeah yeah from arthur's account it was clear that his offender was operating with other child sex offenders so um when when i was about uh, 15 16 he he took me down to brighton and um we met up with this other other man um, who he said that, that it was his brother, but um, they looked nothing like he was blonde and, uh, you know, big build, muscular. And this other guy was nothing like uh, dark haired, completely different build, um, but creepy, you know, and... Uh, you know, they, they, I remember them, I was in the back of the car. They, the two of them were in the front. And uh, they were taking me to a club in Brighton. I'd never been to a club before. Um, and uh, they were talking about things and, you know, stuff that I didn't really understand at that age. And, I mean, one of the things that stuck in my mind was um, they, they were laughing about uh, porn and uh, snuff movies. And I didn't know what that was then. Um, I didn't know for years. I mean, I, I I remember at the time thinking it was were they talking about drugs or something. I didn't just didn't didn't know it. But um, you know, they they the two of them obviously had some sort of connection. Um, and you know, it was it was it, it, I I don't know what I was doing there. I don't know at my age why I was being driven down to Brighton and I was going into clubs. I shouldn't have been there, you know. Um, so did I don't you stay know why I'm still in these positions, and um, you know, and you're trapped. You're trapped. Mm. You're in. You know, I was from South London, and uh, you know, and, and there I am down in Brighton. And I remember being almost taken around the club, and and it it was just a weird. It was weird. Arthur has never reported this to the police. Well, listen, I'm, I'm very grateful you telling me. So my next stage is now is obviously to investigate him. I mean, you, you, as far as reporting him to the police, that's something at this stage in your life you don't want to go through. Is that fair? I don't, I don't think it for me personally, it would, it would be something I'd, I'd want to do because I, I haven't told any of my family um, about any of this. And, you know, be you know, in his late 60s, possibly 70. Mm. Um, you know, he was a, a promiscuous uh, man who never, I mean, he never used any condoms. 
Um, so, you know, whether he's even still alive, I don't know. So I don't, I, I, I don't know if I'd want to even, I mean, talking to you, I'm, you know, I'm quite shaky. I now need to establish who this offender is and if he's any way connected to Lee's disappearance. Also, if Arthur's offender is connected to the main suspects or if there just happens to be a separate paedophile ring operating in the same area. I'm also going to contact the police and provide them with my information, but respecting my sources wish to remain anonymous. My source is happy with this. Coming up next in episode 3, we have a member of Lambert's family contact us with significant new information. What do you think your father's reaction will be of you telling us this? He will go stock staring mad and threaten to kill me. If he can get his hands on me, I probably would be the next one. Get shown an area of real importance in the graveyard. This is the area where the fire was. I, I strongly believe this is, this is it. I've got the right spot here. It's about three foot long about three foot deep and this is where we was pouring tons and tons of fuel down on top of it my father was standing just behind me here watching robert smith was a bit further back and try to speak to all the suspects that were arrested by the police are you telling me you have nothing to do with the disappearance and have no knowledge no knowledge what's whatsoever whatsoever i've just wish i'd actually said something back close to the time when all this was going ahead now. And that's something I've got to live with. That's, that's the guilt I've got to carry. Knowing that that little bit of information may have helped. And I, always, I will always regret that. Right, so he goes missing in 1988. Yep. When do you see him? What year do you see I'd him? I'd say it was around about 95. I see him church. at church. Apparently he's got a girlfriend as well. Right. I believe she was pregnant. And he, he said he, he'd been doing, uh, he'd been working uh, for bits of pe- other people and he was now working for the, I believe the DHSS, but I, this is what it was given to me. I don't know how true it is or what. You've just heard episode two, The Murder of Lee Boxall. If you enjoyed this podcast, we ask that you please tell your true crime friends to listen and subscribe to our channel. If you have any thoughts or just want to get in touch, you can do so via our Twitter page at The Detective FM or go to our website www.the-detective.co.uk. Thank you for listening. This episode was written, produced and recorded by Mark Williams Thomas, edited by Martin Kays, the music by Dylan Apega. The Detective is an original true crime podcast brought to you by Acast.